Hi, this is Wilson from Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. After the pandemic, it's been easy to do Chipotle Church, where we get to choose how much church we want every week. Maybe I'll stay home this Sunday. I feel like opening my Bible today, but not tomorrow. I'll go to small group and not Sundays. Our City Monk series challenges this construct of church and pushes us to reorder our life around Jesus and the Sabbath. It's a call to live in contrast to a city that is busy and burnt out. Instead, we live unhurried lives, wrapping our daily and weekly schedule around being with Jesus. I hope you get a chance to check out our church on Sunday in Fullerton, California at 10 a.m. I hope you enjoy the series. One, two, check, check. All right, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for sharing. We're going to have another time after the sermon, so you're welcome to um, continue to finish off the sharing time there. We're really hoping that that last part of our service is kind of like there's a little bit of freedom, you know, to pray and talk with your group as long as you want, to pray in the corner, to worship, that it would be a space that you guys get to uh, dictate a little bit. So when I think about the last time I felt incapacitated, severely incapacitated, it was in 2010, and I was diagnosed with major depression, and there was a few different factors. I broke up with my ex-girlfriend. We had been dating for four and a half years, and if you've gone through a breakup, which I'm sure many of you have, it's really hard to go from someone you're really close to that you shared so much of your life with, and then the next day, it's like they're dead, like they're totally gone, they're a ghost, and you have no relationship with them. It feels like the death of a close friend. And I remember um, breaking up. That was really hard. And we all, I also was part of a Chinese church, which I complain about a lot. I was on staff there for 10 years. And the last half was really tough. Um, I remember going to staff meetings. And after like having to sing worship songs in Chinese with hand motions, and then the pastor would check our devotionals to make sure we did them. After that, we had like 35 staffers, and he would have one-on-one meetings with each staff in front of everyone else. It would be like, hey, what did you do last week? And they would report, and he would give them feedback 35 times. And then it would be, what did you do this week? And then they would report, and he would give them feedback 35 times. Whatever you multiply by 35 is a lot. It's a lot. I remember on Mondays, I would, I would go mountain biking. I would bike super hard hoping that I'd get injured so I wouldn't have to go to staff meeting on Tuesday. <laughs> so like I'd rather break my arm than go to staff meeting. Uh, it was just like a really tough environment. And then me and my pastor, even though we had a lot of good times together, we just really started butting heads that last year. And then, so I was doing, I had a really difficult time relationally. I was having a really t- tough time in my career and occupation. I had been pastoring there for 10 years. And then I was also failing Greek. So... Greek was really difficult. I, I did my absolute best, and I failed. But then I got diagnosed with ADD, and I took Adderall, and then I took Greek again and failed. And I realized it wasn't the ADD. I just can't do it. Like, I'm not smart enough. So that was really hard. And um, during, so at the, by the end of 2010, I just felt beaten up from every, all these different parts of life. And I got to a point where I couldn't get out of bed. And I just felt like, man, my only reprieve from depression, from depression is, is my dreams. 
And so I'd be in bed for 10, 15, uh, 16 hours a day, just laying there. And the things that I used to love doing, I couldn't do anymore. I, I loved mountain biking, but I didn't get up to bike. I loved hanging out with friends. When they invited me out, I would stay home. I loved being in small group, but it took every ounce of energy to show up. And if you've ever gone through depression, you just kind of feel like the things that were easy got really, really hard. When I look at this passage in Mark chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, we see a man who's paralyzed. He's paralyzed physically. He can't walk. But I feel like for us, when we think about this passage, maybe being paralyzed goes beyond a physical disability. Maybe you were incapacitated in ways that were emotional or spiritual or the trauma that you went through that also made you feel like you couldn't get up and walk anymore. Let's read verse 2. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was laying on. So what I love about this passage is there is this man who couldn't walk and get to Jesus, but he had friends. He had friends that were willing to carry him. He had friends who were willing to be next to him when things were tough. I think it's easy to find friends when your life is good, when you have money, when you're happy, when you can enjoy hobbies and drinks and laughs together. I have friends that, um, I don't know, they probably don't like that I say this, but I call them like friend perks, where you have friends that like, I have a friend whose dad owns a company, so he has box seats to the Staples Center. So once in a while I get this friend perk of being invited to a Clippers game in box seats. Or another friend has a cabin, so I get to go to uh, the cabin once in a while. It's easy to be friends with people who have perks, right? It's much harder to be friends with someone who's paralyzed, emotionally or physically or spiritually. But he had friends who were with him through the hardest moments of life. He had friends who would visit him and care for him when it wasn't fun to when he wasn't fun to be with, when he had needs, when he was going through sadness, when he couldn't walk. I wonder if we have friends who are with us through the hard times, who we could have the hard conversations with, who we can be sad with and who will sit with us. But he not only had friends who were able to go through the valleys with him, they were also friends who wanted to carry him to Jesus when he couldn't get there on his own. And those are the friendships that I hope we develop here and that we can't have out there. People who don't know Jesus can't carry us to him. They're often carrying us away from him because their solutions to life's pains and purposelessness are women or men, are drugs and alcohol, is another accomplishment and notch on our belt. We can't get to Jesus through our friends who don't know him. But in this church, in this community, I hope that we have the friends that this paralyzed man had who are willing to pick us up when it's hard for us to walk 
and bring us to Jesus. And they were shameless about it, weren't they? They walked miles, heaving this person. They get to the door, but they can't, they can't walk in because of the crowd. So they incurred all of these liability issues, picking up a guy and getting him to the roof, right? What if you drop him and you get sued? Uh, doing, doing damage to someone's home, right? Vandalism, digging up a hole in the roof. But they were willing to do whatever it took to bring him to, to the Lord. And only friends that know the Lord can bring you to him. And I wonder if we have those kinds of friends. Friends that not only will sit with us through the hard times, won't abandon us when things are difficult, but who will pick us up and bring us to Jesus. I love this verse in Mark chapter 2, verse 5. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't just see the faith of this man who's paralyzed. I believe he's looking up and he's seeing the faith of the four men who walked up the roof, who dug a hole, and who laid their friend in front of Jesus. That their faith healed, took part in healing this man. I wonder if we have friends whose faith has brought us to Jesus. I wonder if we have friends who Jesus sees their faith and extends healing towards us. Do we have friends who pick us up and bring us to him? And are we a friend who will pick up our friends when they can't get to Jesus and do whatever it takes to bring them to him as well? If we're not doing this as a community, I'm not sure why we're together. If church is just a place where we show up and we don't talk to anyone and go home, I feel like we're missing out on the most important things of being in community. And so here's the invitation into our monastery, which is uh, illustration for Renew. All right, the first one is, how do we live authentically in front of each other? I hope a church is, a, is the place where you could be most real, that you're not putting on a religious facade, it's not a place where you're fake and pretending you're a great Christian, but you actually get to bear your weakness and where you feel incapacitated in front of people. You know, I think there's kind of a weird advantage of being physically paralyzed. People see your weakness. It's just kind of in front of the people around you and you can't hide it if you wanted to. But I think a lot of where we feel paralyzed and incapacitated, we can hide it. We could hide it behind makeup. We could hide it behind a manicured Instagram. We could hide it behind a smile. We could walk in and out of church and people think we're totally okay. What does it mean to choose to be this person who says, I don't have it all together. I'm not perfect. And how can I invite you into the places in my life where I need Jesus most and for you to carry me to him? Is, it, is there an invitation when you're interacting with the community around you to say, could you carry me to Jesus when I can't get him, to him myself? A lot of you guys know, and especially during depression, when I was in my uh, early 20s, my addiction was just off the charts. It was so hard to get a handle on sexual addiction, on gambling at the time, 
when I was going through depression. And if I think about other ways that I have been incapacitated, that feels like one of them. I wasn't sure how to, how to get free. I wasn't sure what the path forward was in terms of finding sobriety. But one of the quotes that I heard recently is the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, but it's intimate connection and community. And every, like the real progress I made in this category of my life was when uh, me and Jonathan, we started doing uh, accountability together. And we would challenge each other to put blockers on every device. We would bring each other toward the Lord when, when I slipped up and he would say, hey, God still loves you and he forgives you and you're accepted. Again and again, we would share like the hardest parts of life. But if you can share about your addiction, you can kind of share about everything. So Jonathan has become like my best friend. And he knows every part of me. And I get to live in, in truth and authenticity with a brother who will pick me up and bring me to Jesus every single week. In my good and bad, in, in my best and worst, he sees me. And I get to do that for him as well. I hope that our community continues to be a community where we live authentically in front of each other and we're walking each other to the Lord. I think of, of a church we, is like a hospital or a doctor's clinic where you walk in and you're, you go to a doctor, you don't say, oh, I'm totally healthy, right? <laughs> like nothing's wrong. Hi, Dr. Ken, nothing's wrong. He's like, why are you wasting my time? Why are you paying me, you know, $500 an hour to tell me nothing's wrong? I don't know how much he gets paid. But um, sorry, sorry if I insulted you, Dr. Ken, with the low figure. Um, but, um, but we go to a doctor and we're immediately exposing what, what our illnesses, what our weaknesses, what's wrong with us. We don't cover up. The first thing you do at a doctor's office is you strip down and you put on... A, a medical gown and you show your wounds is that what it's like to come to church is that what it's like to go to small group where we can show our wounds the second way I think about a church is that it's a school it's a school where we learn how to walk with Jesus and I've been thinking very intentionally when we started the church and even recently what are we teaching our people to do on their own? On Sundays, I'm cooking up a spiritual meal for you. Some weeks it tastes good, but I'm hoping that you learn how to cook. I'm hoping that, that Monday through Sunday, you're opening up the book of Proverbs and you're making your own meal. That you learn how to interact with God's word on your own. And that a small group, you're coming together as a community and learning how to read scripture before you hear it on Sunday. I've heard thousands of sermons from great pastors, but it's, I'm, never, I'm never more moved than when I have the word of God in front of me and the spirit speaking to me. Have you heard God's voice through his word, just you and him? Isn't it better than any sermon you could ever, you can ever participate in? Because Jesus is speaking his words to you. I know other things can give you adrenaline shots. Other things are more stimulating. Other things are quicker fixes. So I've gone through my phone and I'm just deleting every app that I like more than the Bible. 
I'm not telling you to do it. I'm just saying I'm doing that. So I just deleted the news app this morning, right? I have no social media, no games, no streaming apps because I want to pick up my phone. I know it's not going to give me that adrenaline hit, but it's going to shape my soul. I know it's not a quick fix, but it's allowing my patience and kindness to grow inches at a time. I know that I'm not going to see my friend's news feed, but maybe I'll hear from my king and see his face. You know, when we think about this retreat, it's not sermon after sermon. It's like 15 to 20 minutes of combined teaching and two-hour blocks of giving you tools to sit in front of Jesus and hear his voice. Tool after tool from Pastor Chrissy, who has a master's in spiritual in uh, divinity, from Rebecca, who has a master's in spiritual formation, from myself, crafting curriculum for you to bring tools home with you, to hear his voice, to know his face, to, to be a school where you come out of it not having a pastor teach you God's word, but teach you how to read. Not have a pastor who, who prays for you, but you learning how to pray. Not having a pastor who hears God's voice for you, but you learning how to hear the Lord. And as you learn to walk with Jesus, you're able to carry others to him. You're able to bring his voice and words to the people around you. You're able to identify lies and speak truth over them. That's, that's kind and humble and cuts their soul. That's how you, as you learn to walk with Jesus, you learn to carry pe people to Jesus. I hope that we can do that by developing intimate relationships. That your small group can only take you so far but would you look around and say, man, I really like connecting with this person. Maybe I could bring them out to coffee. Maybe I could hang out, invite them to hang out with me in my home and share like deeper things. But I also hope that we could do this as a larger church family across life stages and ethnicities because there's something we can offer each other as a larger community that we can't offer each other in these small groups in our own life stage. And I think about this with Lucy. I asked her permission to share the story. She had a really rough week at school. Her mom was sharing with me, and I talked to her about it. Um, Lucy's in seventh grade. And, man, people are mean in seventh grade. You know, they can be brutal. I remember some really sad stories in seventh grade. So she went through a week where her friends were just ostracizing her. She has a group of, like, you know, her little squad of five kids. And one day, one week, they just wanted to, like, push her out because... Girls do that once in a while. Um, guys just fight and get over it. So I don't know which one's better. Um, so anyways, they kind of push her out. They go to a mall. They all buy headbands. And then they didn't, she didn't get one. And so they come to school the next week, all wearing the same headbands. And Lucy's like left out. And of course, an awkward seventh grade boy walks up. And he's like, how come all your friends are wearing the same headbands and you do not have one? Just an observation walks away, right? So... <laughs> So that was her week, and she was like, I mean, all of us would be beat up over it. But then there's this church family that she's a part of, where she gets to go to um, youth group and find friends who know the Lord and can bring her to him. There's this other family she's a part of where she has older brothers and sisters in college as young adults, right, 
who can be like, Lucy, you're awesome. If you know her, she's awesome, right? You're like, you're like so bright. And when, you have, when you're in junior high and you have a college kid telling you you're great, nothing, nothing's going to touch that, right? You're looking at all your awkward junior high friends. You're like, I don't care what you say. This college kid thinks I'm cool. What, isn't it amazing to have older brothers and sisters in Christ? Whether you're in junior high or college, to have someone who's a young adult doing what, you're do, what you want to do and, and helping you guide your course. If you're a young adult or engaged or young, young married, to have families around you to kind of help you through some of the pitfalls of a relationship or going through crossroads. Lucy, when I think about her, I think about how she's an older sister to like our whole children's ministry. She held both of my boys. I have photos of her with Liam when he was a big baby and now Levi. And she's just an older sister to so many at our church. I think about her, Aubrey and Taylor starting our dance, a dance lesson, you know, upstairs. They got to carve their own space and own a part of the church all to themselves. And like, we had, we had elementary school kids, college students, big Kevin was dancing, parents. Dr. Ken went to dance with them. And it's just like this whole, this church family dancing together. And I, I hope that as a, as a church community, in our ethnicities, in our life stages, we would gift this space of carrying each other to God in the unique life stage and ethnicity that we have, the unique voice that we can bring uh, to the people above us and under us to help them find Jesus. All right, the last part of this passage, we'll start again in Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this man, this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now it was a claim to be God, and you should be aghast at someone saying, like, your sins are forgiven. If I... If, like, someone on the street was like, your sins are forgiven, you'd be like, okay, who are you, right? And so that's kind of how the Pharisees are reacting, that he can't forgive sins. He's not God. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. He said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat, and walk. Now, we know that both things are impossible to actually do. Only God can forgive sins, and only God can heal someone who's paralyzed. But which one is easier to say, right? Which one is easier to say? That's the question. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because it's not verifiable. If you say to someone your sins are forgiven, they're like, maybe, I don't know. Like, I can't, can't really see that. But if you say to someone, get up and walk, who's paralyzed, either they do or they don't. And it's very evident whether you have that kind of power, whether you have a divine power to, to have someone be healed. So what Jesus is saying here is that both are impossible to do, but saying that someone's sin is forgiven is easier. And verse 10, but I want you to know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. He got up, took up his mat, and walked out in full view of all of them. 
This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus, to uh, prove that he's able to forgive sins, which is impossible, does something that's impossible, that's also divine, which is heal this person so that he could get up and walk. And because he's able to do that through his divinity, he's also able to forgive sins. So he's proving his ability to forgive sins by allowing this person, uh, healing this person from being paralyzed, uh, proving that he's God. I wonder what, his, what this man's friends were thinking. Seeing their friend be, be healed inside and out. Being able to witness them bringing someone to the Lord and finding forgiveness and healing. There's so many gods out there. There's so many false saviors. There's so many things our society clings to and says, this will save you. This will heal you. This will take you away from hopelessness and depression. This will fulfill your life. But have we experienced the forgiveness and healing of Jesus? And have we been able to joyfully bring someone in front of him and witness God heal and forgive someone else? I asked Sean uh, to share his story. He's going to do an extended version. He's getting baptized next Sunday and sharing his testimony with us at baptism. But I remember sitting with Sean right at that bench. First week he came in. And his friend that I knew brought him, so introduced him. And he was just like, man, I feel so awkward being in a room of people I don't know. And maybe some of you guys feel like that today. And I was like, just fight through that. Come to the pool party. That looked awesome, right? Literally, it was that day. So we went to Ken and Chrissy's house. And I was super excited that he showed up. And after that, he went to sports ministry. He went to small group. He gave his life to Jesus. and, And he found family with us. And on the back end, as his story unfolded uh, in our deeper conversations, he said, Wilson, it means so much to me that I got to find a community who brought me to Jesus. You know, over the last year, and a lot of us understand this, uh, of COVID and so on, he, uh, Sean shared with me and he'll share with you guys about how he was wrestling with suicide and how he had a date in mind. And how he found Jesus and this family before that date. And how we were able to bring him to a God who would heal and resurrect and forgive him. And that's why we come together. So that we can be brought to Jesus. No one else can do that who doesn't know the Lord in our lives. And it's our job as a community to do that for each other. I'm so grateful for these many years of seeing Sean's story like come through over and over again in the big and small ways, seeing families who were wrestling with divorce now stay together and have a child, seeing people make um, progress in their sobriety, seeing Jesus meet us on Sunday mornings where people are being prayed for and in tears because they're being brought to their Savior. And I hope that that's why we gather, not for a Sunday service, not to just sing some songs and hear 
God the word, but to meet Jesus and to bring other people to him. Today we're going to take communion together and we think about not only us carrying people to the Lord, but the Lord carrying the cross on our behalf. That we don't, we're not the first ones to step to the Lord, but the Lord comes down from heaven, becomes a man in order to be with and to come to us, in order to save us and forgive us of our sins, to heal us and to give us new life. And as we take communion today, we think about how God has carried us, our sin, our shame, our death, and given us resurrection. If you're a Christian today, I invite you to participate in communion. If you're not a Christian, I invite you to, sh to share a coffee or a conversation with me, to share a prayer in the back. I would love to uh, share more about Jesus with you. This is his body broken for you. And this is his blood shed for you. Jesus, thank you so much for being the best friend that you laid your life down for us. You carried the cross for us. You took the nails for us so that we wouldn't have to experience death and the shame of sin and the bondage of addiction. You are the friend who carries us to the Father for forgiveness and healing in life by taking death for us. We're so grateful for you. And we're so grateful to celebrate your death on Friday, your sacrifice and love for us, to remember it and to celebrate your new life on Sunday and that how that life has impacted our brothers and sisters at this church has impacted us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Wilson again. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If our sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd love for you to consider supporting our church and ministry. As we approach the end of the year, we're asking our church family to consider investing into a special fund that support our interns and seminarians. Renew has a vision of investing in pastors for the next generation through our internship program. And your financial partnership can help set up a young pastor or missionary to faithfully serve the Lord for the next 30 to 40 years. I often dream about what Irwin or Kevin will do for the kingdom of God through their 30s, 40s, and 60s. Our goal is to raise $50,000 over the season. Would you consider joining us? You can give through PayPal or Venmo or by sending a check. All the information is on the description section of the podcast, or you can visit our website and your investment is tax deductible. Thank you so much for being a part of our church family. If you're ever in the Fullerton, California area, please drop by into our Sunday service. I'd love to meet you. God bless.